0: I kind of want to share over the course of my lifetime ideas that have been useful for me that may be helpful for other people. And I feel like (laughs) I've been on that arc of the personal development journey where I'm like, oh, you're obsessed with morning routines now. That's
1: when we were talking about you getting a typewriter and how that, you know, physical product and you interacting with that product.
0: I don't want to be in front of screens almost ever. And typewriting allows me to just write. The machine is literally just designed to write without any distractions, without anything, but just me and these like clicky sounds.
1: My guest today is Calvin Rosser. Calvin's mission is to empower 10 million people to live a more conscious and fulfilling life. I first came across Calvin through the podcast, Shit You Don't Learn in School, which he co-hosts with Steph Smith. He also writes about the art of fulfillment, unconventional living, big ideas on his website and newsletter life reimagined welcome to the podcast
0: thanks for having me
1: Hi Calvin Happy New Year
0: yeah happy New Year what did what did you get up to over the holiday
1: we went on this epic long road trip to Big Bend maybe about 10 hour drive with our big family so it was a, a pretty nice ending of the year and recovering from that in January. Beautiful. How about you? That
0: sounds restorative. I was in Costa Rica for a couple weeks and then I'm from Florida. So I went to New Smyrna Beach, which is on the east coast of Florida and just spent time with family and chilled. And my birthday is New Year's Eve. So had a little celebration with the family and one of my high school friends. And that that was nice. It was the first time I was home in many years for my birthday. So very fun.
1: Happy birthday. I think with your birthday, like the first question I had it and it might be a big question, but let's see where it takes us. I was drawn by this idea of you know life reimagined, and I'm going to share why I thought you know I need to have Calvin in my podcast. But what does it mean to reimagine someone's life? And I wonder if you know you can talk about your personal story or.
0: Yeah, so I think it would be a personal question. It, in my case, the idea of life reimagined came when I was starting my blog, and I had spent my first year out of college as an investment banker. I wanted to be a big businessman on Wall Street, make money. I grew up with very little money, so that was important. But after a year of that, I was like, actually this dream that I had is not, it doesn't feel very good, so I want to try something else. And I ended up working remotely in my second job and I was traveling the world. And around the time I started my blog and Life Reimagined, it was 18 months into going to maybe 20 countries, 30 countries, whatever it was. And i was reading a lot of books i was getting into self-help and productivity and all this stuff i just felt better than i ever imagined that you could feel in life and it was a lot of like small changes i was doing things like gratitude journaling meditation yoga breath work just trying the full gamut of things while traveling the world still building my career etc and i kind of saw early on that at least for me there's this different way of living than anyone had ever told me and it felt really good and so my blog started kind of from that premise yeah, how do you rethink your life in a way that works for you? And I don't think that always means taking some unconventional path that doesn't align with a societal narrative. Some people are very happy on that path as well. And it's just more like if your life isn't working, what can you do to nudge it in the direction of feeling a little bit better on a daily basis?
1: I love what you said, and it's interesting how the, the things that you mentioned, the gratitude journal, even like the traveling, those are things that you could maybe add on your already existing routine, whether you're investment banking or whatever it is. What about some of those practices that like was compelling enough? I need to maybe change the direction of my career to make that happen.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of those practices I mentioned, I don't do many of them now. But at that period of time, I was in a an exploratory period. So instead of being like, oh, I'm just going to work. Adulthood is heavy and there's responsibilities and it's meant to be this way. I was like, let me just try a bunch of stuff. And most of my ideas came from books. I followed, I guess, productivity or self-help people online. And I just experimented pretty widely. And I probably tried hundreds of things and I still do use some of those things. But I think of them as tools in the toolkit to develop a greater awareness of yourself and maybe move yourself in the right direction. With the gratitude journaling, for example, I felt that I wasn't a negative person, but I did notice there were times when I entered into like a complainy state and I think I read, you know, how to win friends and influence people when I was 22 and he's like, never criticize, condemn or complain. So paid my roommate a dollar for every time I complained, he was a guy who was traveling the world with me and it was a really good forcing function for learning not how to complain and gratitude journaling was kind of another piece of that. How do I become just inherently a more positive person? How do I see the good in the world? Even if things aren't going perfectly, And again, I don't think those are like solutions long-term. They are just like tools to make you more aware that can be helpful. And I think reorient your mind in a way that can endure pretty significantly.
1: Besides the gratitude uh, journaling, what are some tools, and you mentioned that, you know, I don't maybe practice those today. What are some tools that, or practices today that are helping you to maybe like ground yourself, to anchor yourself to your purpose?
0: The main thing is, I picked up surfing about five years ago, and I would say if there's anything I'm focused on life in life, it's becoming a better surfer. Surfing has kind of taken over all of these other practices, yoga, meditation, gratitude journaling. I still do some of those things, but when I go out into the ocean, it's this uncertain environment. It's physically exerting. It requires me to test the physical and mental limits that I have. I feel kind of complete as a person, and now I'm not recommending people go surf because Many people don't like the ocean I tried, or whatever. I can't. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's I mean, it really is like a brutal place, but it's brutal in a way that I would say keeps me grounded in a pretty holistic way, more than almost everything. And it's sort of the organizing principle of how I think about my day.
1: Somebody mentioned it's one of those sports that you cannot take a selfie of yourself serving. <laughs> and this idea of just being totally detached, right, to screens, to to tech, it's just you and the water and like just you. I was reading your bio and different things about from your website. And I think I I really resonated with the working hard when you, as you're growing up, you mentioned that you grew up with a single mom, you really wanted to get out of this scarcity world and your tool was like working hard. I think, I wonder like, did working hard work for you? Is this something that you still believe in and what does working hard maybe look like or mean to you today
0: yeah this is has been an important question for me because in the last few years i'd say my relationship with the idea of hard work and even personal identification with my story which was very much my mom made less than fifteen thousand dollars per year i would say i didn't have the easiest of childhoods and hard work was like a vessel to create a better life for myself but then at some point And I kind of identify this point as I could go to Starbucks and buy a latte without really thinking about it. Kind of something simple on the financial security front. I started to think, like, okay, I could keep earning more money or maximizing money in this way. I could keep grinding in my career or whatever. But I noticed that wasn't probably going to make me feel good. I didn't really like the idea of grinding away and then at some point in retirement, enjoying my life. And there were a few experiences, the death of a mentor, death of my mom that I think made me realize that life was pretty short and, you know, that you don't really want to trade too much of your youth away for some hypothetical future. And these days, one of the challenges I face and that I think has become something that's made my life a lot better is I don't work very hard at all now. (laughs) And I've in many ways let go of uh, classic ambition. And I fueled that more into surfing. Like I'm trying to be a better surfer. That's literally like my number one goal because it sort of completes me as a person. And I found a way to make that work. But there has been this question of because I was programmed to kind of grind away for so much of my youth, how do I unlearn that? Or how do I change my relationship with that and say, oh, Cal, it's okay to not keep being more productive, keep being more prolific, whatever. And you just want to go have fun. I almost feel like I'm reliving my youth again. And it took probably two years to really unwind and lean into that and actually feel good about doing that without some sort of internal residual guilt that I'm no longer this person that's pressing forward and always trying to grow.
1: Yeah, I love what you said and it just like it resonates uh in a way that I feel like I'm still living that script that you know I, I still need to work hard and I'm probably not totally detached from that because in a way I'm okay with like working hard. <laughs> like I find so much joy when I work or like when I can move things forward. In a way, like your commitment to surfing and I see a lot of work into your writing and we're going to talk about your writing because I'm really curious. But maybe the work is not so much to for the purpose of, you know, is leaving the world of scarcity, but you are really working hard towards that. You're surfing, writing or other personal projects. Is, is that something that resonates with you or it, maybe it's a different vocabulary that.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I have, so I've had my blog for six years and I've gone through periods where I've worked more on it or worked less on it. Now I don't take it all that seriously. I mean, I do spend some time writing and I do put effort into my pieces or whatever, but I'm not kind of striving there. There's no real purpose other than I'm doing this for enjoyment. Like I don't, I don't have goals around building a big audience or making a bunch more money or anything other than just, I kind of want to share Over the course of my lifetime ideas that have been useful for me that may be helpful for other people and there's just this very low pressure environment in the way that I pursue that surfing I take more seriously like a calling like a pursuit of mastery An idea that I was thinking of the other day and I'd love your I don't know thoughts on is I feel like a calling is almost always talked about in a career sense we're like hey leave the default path find your calling. Is that being a writer? Is it being a podcaster? Something in the creative world? Maybe it's something entirely different. But I rarely hear people talk about a calling like, I picked up this silly sport where I take a board out into the ocean and it's just totally engrossed me. It's taken away all these other practices and replaced them with something that is like deeply enriching. And I treat it like I'm a professional athlete, even though I'm never going to be good enough or make money from this thing. And it actually feels like a calling far more than, say, writing ever did. And I always wanted writing to be a calling. I thought I would be like a multi-book author and maybe I will someday, but surfing kind of engrossed me in a a totally different way. But the challenge was that this was not like a serious professional pursuit. Like people are like, how do you spend your days? I'm like, I'm checking the waves and I'm traversing new places and I'm just bopping around by myself. And yet it does feel more like a calling in the way that people describe it than almost anything that I've encountered.
1: That is so fascinating. As you were talking Calvin, I, I thought of this thing that Kevin Kelly said and that his pursuit is to really become himself. Like I don't want to use the, the word calling, but what does it, what does real, real deep inside Kevin Kelly looks like and that pursuit that will take the, his entire life? What about surfing? Do you feel like it just maybe connects with you at a deeper level? Like I'm curious because I'm not a surfer. I've tried and I hated it. I was so scared, anxious. But what about it? Do you feel like it's maybe like, oh, this is me, and makes you want to do it more, despite the, you know, like I'm sure it's physically very hard and challenging?
0: Yeah. So I try not to intellectualize things too much these days, but I'll give it a shot. I think there is some nostalgic element. So I grew up, and some of my happiest memories were going to the beach. So I think there's just like an orientation towards like beach life, barefoot. You know, you go in the ocean, there's some sort of like childlike joy that I get from it. But then I really think it is, I would liken it to my pursuit of writing as well in that surfing to learn as an adult is, I think the learning curve is steeper than many other things I've tried. Like I picked up skiing extremely quickly and I'm not a great skier, but to get to a point where I was competent going down double blacks that happened in like a year where surfing, I feel like it's been a much harder, slower pursuit for me. And there's something physically challenging about that but also intellectually interesting. And then in terms of like what you're talking about with Kevin Kelly and becoming, you know, your true self or a full person, serving like has taught me a lot about my body as well. I for a long time kept getting injured in different ways, and now all of my training routines, even my diet, like how I think about drinking, they've all changed radically because I've seen the way that they impact my performance in the water or how I feel about that. And That's where I'm like treating it like an athlete where it's become sort of this way of thinking about my entire body that I think helps me throughout life. And then I think in terms of like how it makes me feel as a person after a good surf or just as I pursue life in this way, I feel like I'm a much more present person. I'm a much more centered person. I strive less. I can show up for my friends. I just feel better on the whole. And so it's just, instead of trying to do more things, I'm like, if I just do this one thing, everything else feels pretty good. And to me, that's like enough.
1: That's awesome. I, you (laughs) know, like my practical kind of like probably still in the traditional script and was thinking, so how do you, like financially or, or thinking about money and this idea of the scarcity mindset, if you're surfing all day. Like, who is you know like who is the breadwinner? Like, who is or do you have all this investment that is giving you all this passive income? Or are you, are you okay with living money on the table? How do you reconcile the idea of like being in leisure and bettering your yourself, but then not bringing income? Like, I don't know. Just that that is still something a puzzle for me to solve.
0: Yeah, let's try to solve it. So you're <laughs> pointing to something. You're pointing to something that's important, which is you have to pay the bills or you have to feel financially secure. Right. And I, I will say, like, when I first started as a creator, I was 25 and I left my full time job and I tried to do it for six months. And the lack of path to making enough money to feel stable made me very emotionally dysregulated. And I went back to full time work for a while. But when I was 28, that was the last time I had a, a full time job. I'm now 31. And I guess over the course of my blog I've built it up where there's about a million people who visit the site every year and it's all mostly from SEO organic traffic and my website is monetized very passively mostly through advertising and affiliate marketing revenue and so that actually generates enough income for me to pay for my lifestyle. I'm also married and my wife Steph Smith she works a lot and (laughs) she's great. Over time, she has continued along the more classical money-making route. So we are a team in that sense. But I do generate enough income just from my personal creative projects to sort of fund my lifestyle. And even in the absence of staff, I don't think I would make changes because at this point, I am not... I used to track my net worth like every month. And I wanted to see that number going up and up. And right now, I'm just like, what am I maximizing for? I'm maximizing for time freedom and for my ability to pursue the sport that requires me to like... So right now I'm maximizing for time freedom and that's kind of required if you want to pursue surfing seriously because you're at the whims of the literal tides created by the moon, the wind, like when things are good, being able to travel to different places, etc. And I'm okay with my net worth number, not just going up into the right because I do have savings from the first, I guess I worked full time for maybe six years. I do continue to make money that covers my expenses. And then I'm in a, a marriage as well where someone else is bringing in money to the overall family ecosystem. And I think for some people that wouldn't work, you might be like, hey, I want to feel more and more secure. But I kind of realized that at some point with money, it's a psychological battle for feeling secure. You, I, I know so many people who are you know, unbelievably wealthy by almost any standard and they feel very insecure about money. And I really understand it because I grew up insecure about money but I've done a lot of personal work and I don't know that I have a map for anything that would work for other people, but in addressing my emotional state when it comes to like finances and once, once I got to a certain hurdle there, it's easy for me to lean into this idea of I, I really want to enjoy what, what's left of my youth or you know freedom before having kids or other more serious responsibilities that would probably change my optimization function away from time freedom.
1: Wow. That's, this is so inspiring. And I totally agree with you. I think it's in your head. Like I have a home. I have, it's not like I'm broke, but I think that the, maybe it's how I grew up as well. I think the scarcity and like the idea of just a little more to feel more secure or like, Mm -hmm. you know, this is, I love what I'm doing. So I need to keep doing it. These are struggles that I'm going through. Like I love work, but it's also, it comes at a cost where many times I will choose work over spending time with my kids or my family might get neglected and it's all because I'm paying the price now. But what you're saying, I think it hits the psychological aspect. It's really all invented and it's in my mind, (laughs) something that I need to ponder.
0: Well, there, I mean, there's a practical element of money. I, I do like, I still feel the things that you feel. It's like, i would feel a little more secure in my mind if i had a bit more money but the question i ask myself then is like what am i willing to trade off to get that idea of security or to pursue that security in the form of money and for me i'm not willing to say go do the things that i would need to do to earn more money because i have enough for myself that said maybe you feel this way too because of how i grew up like i like when i go into a grocery store I know the price of milk. I know the price of everything. I have friends who they grew up relatively secure financially and they've never thought about like the cost of a grocery or whatever. But I can tell you what pasta or whatever costs because there's that sensitivity.
1: Yeah, we'll just go to Walmart to get our Häagen-Dazs ice cream. (laughs) Yeah. Because they're like $2 cheaper or something. This is, you know, it's like so relatable, Calvin. Thank you for sharing and for being so, so candid with that. I'm also amazed at your capacity to learn something that is maybe like outside your um your expertise. So for example, I think you were investment banking and then you just really became a growth marketer. So I wanted to learn about that transition from you know i banking to becoming a growth marketer for startups because that's mainly what you know, we're talking about SEO affiliate marketing. That's where you built your passive income structure. So I wanted to learn how did you transition from that? It was like self-taught or?
0: Yeah, so I had a a friend who was working at a company called TopTel, which is a remote company that does staffing. They help people hire developers, designers, etc. And while I was in investment banking, working 15 hours a day in a cubicle, he was traveling the world, making decent money, and also seemingly learning a lot of skills, and he was pretty excited about that. So I talked to him like, is there some role within this company that... I could do because when you're an investment banker most people they go into private equity or a hedge fund they stay in the world of finance um but i ended up finding i interviewed for a sales role and i guess the head sales guy is like this guy's not going to be good at sales he's not charming enough but he may be good for this like growth marketing role so the company ended up hiring me for that and honestly in my first like three months i just it was an experiment i'm like am i going to totally flop and fail at this because this company was one where they would fire fast and they expected results, but they also gave people a lot of leeway and they hired you with the idea that you could learn something and figure it out. And it just so happened that with marketing, it, it, it was a little bit just like a process of experimentation. And so I started, I think, running like LinkedIn campaigns and I did Quora ads. And then I took over like a business unit and that involved doing SEO and partnerships. And all of that was I never found it very hard. I also didn't find it that interesting after some period of time, because at the end of the day, your job is like make the chart go up and to the right. And if you get dopamine from that's a really great job for you. But for me, I always I think I always feel most at home when I'm talking to other people, having conversations like we're having. And I never really squared with my relationship in that growth marketing world because it just didn't fulfill me, even though I was doing a pretty decent job at most points.
1: as you are so as you are, you know, sharing them like, oh, I think it will fulfill me. Like (laughs) I want to learn (laughs) I want to learn about growth marketing. And I am, you know, the background in engineering, just very I don't know, I like I probably have a lot of skills too, but marketing is a new skill that I'm learning these days. Oh, this is very important. SEO, like what is SEO? And I'm becoming very curious. And I'm at that stage right before I sit down to learn any, you know, like practically speaking, as you were doing that with the top tile job, how did you approach learning this new thing that you had to learn and apply right away to drive results?
0: Well, I had the good fortune of there was other people at the company, my boss, the friend that I worked with, and then some other people who were who knew this stuff really well, and they were willing to take like a young person under their wing and teach me. And now they expected me to learn quite quickly. But they sort of knew the stuff that you needed to know. And with SEO, for example, it's extremely simple. And there's a lot of people who sell, I don't know, all kinds of content or resources or like agencies that you need to do. But at the end of the day, like all SEO is doing is like Google wants to give the user the information that they're looking for. And so it's more complicated than that. But like if you understand that principle, you understand, I think, a third of SEO. Which is, you can have all the hacks and stuff, but at the end of the day, if you give a user, sorry, if you create like a site that gives the user answers to specific queries, and then you do other things to build your domain authority, etc., like you can build a website that gets people who are searching for certain things, and so it, it basically it's not that hard. But these people were good at kind of dissecting the first principles of it, teaching me that in a context where I was getting paid to learn. And then thankfully I did that because then once I started my website, like I could use some of those techniques to sort of build a structure that was not super intentional, but that I, that ended up working well for creating the lifestyle that I have right now.
1: I love that. And you make it sound very learnable. And (laughs) I think I first, I mean, confession, like the, I love Steph Smith. I don't know how I came across her content, but I'm like, (laughs) How can somebody sound so smart, be so kind and like I just I was just so, I don't know, obsessed about stuff. So, so like I bought her a course. I started this course to like go over like I created a club to go over her course. And I think I came across her content with doing time right, mm-hmm. which you co-taught with her. And I had no clue that you two were partners. And I was like, oh wow, she has like you know a cool coworker, <laughs> and, <laughs> and they're doing this together. And yeah, but she is she's an amazing I think person. And I wanted to to just ask you like how did you know you have a podcast together? You are you have these courses together. How do these projects come about?
0: Well, let's start at the beginning which is related to what we were just talking about. Me and Steph met at that company where I started as a growth marketer. So we joined A total. That, yeah, we joined that company in the same role within 2 weeks of one another. And Steph too had not had any exposure to growth marketing. So I would say we went on a similar journey at that company and we both did well there where we learned a lot of the same things and we speak the same language. And now Steph has taken that and done something different than I have with it. But we start from kind of a similar training and marketing and exposure to things in the workforce. And so that's how we first met. And then we became, I guess, romantically involved sometime after that, while we were traveling the world, still working for that company. And we met in Nicaragua. And the rest is kind of history. That was, I think, six six years ago. But I would start from the premise that I, while I live my life quite differently than Steph does and have maybe opted out of the world that we are both raised in, if you will, in the career sense, we speak the same language and sometimes we just, you know, Steph, whether it's her own project or just an idea I have, we end up working together on, we can work across writing across the podcast. We have, I think, different ways of approaching the world, but there's a sort of a shared sense that we're pretty good at kind of creating things together. And we do limit the projects to, I think, things that are one-off, not recurring things. The podcast is a little bit of an exception, but... I don't love the idea of building like a long-term business with your partner because I, the in in my mind, like the relationship comes first. And if you introduce like a business that you're really trying to grow and scale together over time, that can create friction in a partnership. And I would not ever want to put that at risk because that's the most important thing.
1: Wonderful. I You mentioned the podcast and I'm very curious about how you think about the podcast and you know you mentioned you we don't do things to for astronomic like growth it seemed it's a curiosity project uh, I love the topics that you bring about the discussions how do you fit in the podcast in your routine and if you don't mind sharing like the workflow like who does what how do you decide on the topics do you like research before yeah
0: Cool. Yeah. So the podcast is the shit you don't learn in school. And I guess in terms of our workflow, it's it's changed over time, but basically we both will just be like, Hey, we have this idea for a pod and we've tried regularly recording, say on like a Friday or something, but that never really works. Steph is a lot busier than me. So I, I try to work around her schedule, but when we are doing it, we're currently on a little bit of a hiatus. We will come up with a topic And then we both do independent research and we do not talk about any of that. There's no structure to our podcast. We just come and we think, oh, if we just have an organic conversation like we would in our kitchen when we're talking about a random thing, then that's going to be the most interesting thing because we're kind of discovering things together. And so we just have like, I just have a couple of bullet points. Let's say we're talking about how to make friends as an adult. I've come up with some ideas that work for me or whatever, and Steph will often come up with a wildly different set of ideas and sometimes more data as well. She likes to pull things from the internet. I'm more of an experiential, you know, book reader type of person. We record the pod just in one go and then Steph will do the editing and the script and we'll kind of set it live from there. And honestly, it's just all for fun. So we don't, you know, we don't promote it too much. We don't take it too seriously. We try to have laughs. We try to keep it light, loose, (laughs) have fun and You know that makes it easier than say if we were trying to really grow it or make it a super professional thing it it really is just hey we have some ideas that we want to share with the world and this podcast is a great way for us to do it in a way that doesn't take too much of our time
1: any other projects that you two are working together or thinking about
0: yeah well she just launched a or she pre-launched a project called internet pipes (laughs) which is going really well
1: can you tell us about that
0: Yeah. Well, Steph is a guru. She's terminally online. So she was working all the time and she knows how to use the internet. And basically she's creating a course that is going to help other people use the internet in the way that she does to find business ideas, to do competitive research, to just have more fun in the creative pursuit of whatever it is that you're doing and to be more successful doing so. And I've seen you know, under the hood, what she's working on, she's doing an awesome job. She's going above and beyond like she always does. And interestingly, from some of her work on that project, which is launching in, I think, a week or two, she's come up with some other ideas that I think we're going to work on together, like a couple of newsletter ideas. We're thinking about doing a book together this year. It would be like a visual book. And yeah, just like little stuff like that, where the goal isn't necessarily to make money. It's just like, are there things where it mutually benefits us to kind of collaborate or tackle it together
1: and for those things because i'm sure like the few projects you mentioned are the ones that maybe made the cut how do you decide oh you know this is why don't we do it is it just a matter of intuition oh we're both excited let's do it or how do you decide on because there are probably so many projects you could work together
0: yep how do we decide so I mean, sometimes we decide by if we're really excited about something, we'll start working on it. Like the book I just mentioned, we actually spent like a month doing a lot of calls with like publisher type of people and like learning about what we wanted to create, like a beautiful coffee table book and neither of us have ever done that. And so we spent a month doing like research in different ways and we sort of put that on pause because stuff got busy with other things. It sort of faded, but that idea keeps coming up in conversation. It's like, are we still doing that book? And that's like a good signal that uh, maybe we should just create this thing. It doesn't have to be perfect and we'll just get it over the finish line and then we'll see how it goes from there. I think often though, if anyone is rejecting an idea, it's often me and I'll be, I don't know, I'm very discerning about what we work on together because again, I don't want to introduce conflict or friction. And that could be in the form of like Steph has really strong visions about certain things. She has a very high quality bar. And it's not that I don't either, but if I sense that she has a very specific vision of how she wants something to go, then I'm like, I can just play a support role. I can, you know, check her stuff in the background. She can come to me for ideas, but I don't need to be like a co-creator or collaborator on that because I want her to have like the best version of that as possible without me putting my stuff into that project.
1: That's that's so useful. I do have a lot of flow of, oh, let's do this together. Let's and. I don't know if you know the hell yeah or no by Derek Mm -hmm. Sivers. And that was like, at some point was such a helpful mind frame for me. It was so clear to filter a bunch of things, but now too many things are hell yes. (laughs) And (laughs) I need a second filter. And I'm trying to think, I'm trying to like, it, it, it could be a question. It could be something. Do you have any question that like helps you sort of like intuitively know, is this a no This is definitely a yes or no. I don't know. Just wondering.
0: I don't know if it's a question, but it's I think I have a good sense of what I want in general. And so it's more like, how does this project fit within the few things that I know I want to pursue? Just to give you an example, I don't have concrete goals this year, but I basically want to improve as a surfer. I want to be like as healthy as I can be or as healthy as I have ever been. I want to spend time with friends and family. And then I want to be a bit more of a prolific creator. And so if you start to introduce a project that falls within those loose categories, like maybe I'll be like, okay, I can consider it. But if it's outside of that domain, I have to ask like, how's this going to take away from these things that I know if I do them and I do them well, I'm going to feel complete. And I would say that my life has been a big process of unlearning and subtraction. I'm getting down to like the fewest possible things that just are enough for me. And letting go of all these ideas that I need to charge harder here. I need to be better here. I'm, I'm like, actually, I'm good enough here. What does that look like if I just like accept that? And then even things that are like interesting, I realize, oh, this is going to take time away from my friends and family. And like being a part of this community or whatever is very important to me and it makes me feel good. And so why would I trade away that time for some project that will generate money or maybe it will be interesting it has to, like, really, I think, be a part of the broader lattice work of what I want. And so that, that's where I would start is like, what do you want?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> the deep, important question. I, I love what you said about the no goals. And last year was my first year of no goals. And it was the, the year that I was most, I don't know, fulfilled, not from a financial point, but like, I just felt really happy and complete. So I'm continuing that this year, like no goals. But I noticed that there there is a lot more of this messaging of no goals. I noticed that especially this year, maybe because, you know, like I'm biased. Do you notice that too, that a lot more people are becoming like more loose in terms of there's a different type of productivity movement or a different type of mindfulness or I don't know. Have you noticed anything like that?
0: I think Any there's thoughts a on why. Yeah, I think there was a broad trend of a big obsession with self-help and personal development that and
1: hustling, yeah,
0: and hustling that permeated the world in the 2010s and still is exists very deeply in the world. However, you may be further along on your personal development journey where you're like you see through the illusion. I feel like there's a scene in Goodwill Hunting where Matt Damon like meets a guy in a bar and the guy is like trying to outsmart him and talk about books and matt damon has already read all the books and he's like oh so you're on nietzsche now and then you're gonna go to plato next and then you're gonna think this next and i feel like i've been on that arc of the personal development journey where i'm like oh you're obsessed with morning routines now and then you're gonna go to this and then you're gonna realize it's all just an illusion and you should probably spend time with your friends and family and so it could just be like you're moving towards that part of the curve. And I would say like, I'm closer to that as well. And so I'm more exposed to that type of information though. I don't know if there is a cultural or a broader shift against self-help or just all this optimization because people, everyone's trying it. They're doing all the routines, but they still feel some sort of hole inside. And so they're looking for something else, which is like, Oh yeah. What if I didn't set OKRs every year? What if I just went back to the basics because this thing wasn't serving me? And at least for me, that's why I do it is like, like you, I had a great year last year. Why would I change the formula? Like I'm stoked, even though I achieved a lot less than maybe I could, I feel really great about my life. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to stir the pot just because some blogger told me that it's cool for me to have a morning routine and go cold plunge and like do more types of journaling. Like I kind of know what works for me
1: yeah i I feel the same way. and I think this year I've noticed it was for me was an experiment because I was ended up disappointed. and Jason free, like I recently had an interview with him, and uh he talked about how you know you're running and if you want to do your you're like, I don't know, your run less than six point five minutes and you do it six point four, there's still a disappointment. <laughs> and like you know, it makes no sense, right to like, I think goals can be limiting, so I tried it last year. This year, I'm like leaning into it even more. Um, So we'll see. I'm treating also my days or my years as experiments. So I'm doing a small like documentary for myself. Like I, so let's see what happens, right? Like this individual personal projects that we do. But I do like what you said. I have these themes or things that I want to that I want to do. You have things that you want to do, and whatever comes to your way. Is it aligned with this or not? A little like, you know, sharp left, maybe I really like your writing. And I think it's just very, you're saying, Oh, I'm not doing it as much now, but so I'm subscribing to your newsletter. And it's very like writing focused or like for writers. So I wanted to just ask a couple questions about your writing and What does, you know, when do you write? Do you have a certain routine or maybe like you don't anymore? How do you decide what, like, how do you structure your newsletter? What Mm -hmm. to include? I think the last one was on Bukowski. You had like a book summary. Yeah. How do you see this ongoing project of newsletters?
0: Yeah. So the newsletter is one form of writing and it's the one where I do most consistently and I, I do it on a weekly basis. And so these days, it's usually I'm waiting until Saturday to write it, though. I may be thinking about what I'm going to write throughout the week. My newsletter is often a digest of the things I've encountered during that week, or maybe I've run an experiment and it's finally time to talk about it. And so it's very much like, you know, a, an ongoing digest of sort of what I'm thinking about in the current moment. And even with the newsletter, like, because I don't think you can write something great every week. And so when I say I don't take it that seriously, it's like it's just a Sunday newsletter. (laughs) You know, I've been doing it for six years. It's I want to share valuable information, but the likelihood that I'm going to hit like every week, I don't put that pressure on myself. It's just, you know, some weeks are really good, some weeks are not, and some weeks are good for you and not good for others. It's just I keep it pretty loose and often I will use the newsletter as a vehicle to share other pieces of work. So if I've worked on a longer essay, an essay would take me a couple weeks I will use the newsletter as like a distribution vehicle. It's like, a you know, the hub of where you would find all of my work or me and Steph do a podcast or we launch a new project or I want to, you know, recommend something else. So I kind of think about it from that lens. And broadly speaking, it's about improving the quality of your life. I think of it as like planting or sharing seeds with other people. And it's unlikely that that seed is going to like directly change someone's life. But it may get someone being like, oh, maybe I should pick up this book or oh, that's an interesting idea. And then that takes them further down the path. This year, I would like to do more mini to long essay writing, which was something I did a lot more when I started the blog. And I got sidetracked from that because I try, I spent two years trying and failing <laughs> to write a book. And a lot of my like longer writing energy went into the book writing process, and I dropped that last year. And now I'm kind of ready to share more of the essay form because... I just think that essays have the potential for more impact than say a short blurb and a newsletter.
1: Why did you, I think 2024 is the year of where everybody writes a book. Why did you drop the book project?
0: (laughs) Well, I dropped it in the end because it wasn't serving me. I mean the book, I think when I think about my relationship with ambition, which has been a big theme for me, the last thing, when I left my full-time job in 2021 The thing that I wanted to do was to write a book. I felt like I had to. It felt like the last thing I really had to do in my career to feel fulfilled in some way. And as I went along that journey, I I got a full draft. I hired someone to review it. I got the feedback on that. And there was basically a lot more work to be done. And I think the ideas I was trying to share in the book were very much a part of the old me that I was shedding at the time. I was sort of transitioning from this person who was like interested in frameworks and really distilling truth into like little nuggets of wisdom into someone who was moving into like a more fluid, nonlinear existence, sort of a process of like letting go and just, yeah, spending my day surfing. And there was something about the book that felt like the time had passed for it. And as I sat down to write it, just... I wasn't happy writing it. It wasn't, I don't think what I was producing was good. And it's not that I had to write the best book, but at some point I looked at it and I'm like, where's my energy going? My energy is going towards like chasing waves, spending time with friends. Every time I sit down to write this book, I'm like kind of unhappy as I talk about it. I'm not happy to talk about it. And I just let it go, which was a very difficult thing because it was kind of attached to my ego and what I had said I wanted to do. But once I did that, like my whole life became a lot better. So I still love wow. the idea of writing, uh, writing a book someday, but it's more I need to, uh, you know, approach it from the right place and at the right time. And that that angst about having to do it, I let that go. And so now there's at least right now, there's no thing that I have to achieve to feel that my life is like complete. And the book was the last thing that I, I felt like that for and dropping it was actually very useful in surprising ways.
1: And I might, I mean, you never know what happens, but it's so uh, interesting that when you let it go, that's when the timing is right. As in like, (laughs) you let go of that book and maybe now is the right time for the book. Like, it's just like, I don't know if, if that makes any sense, but because you were, you fully let it go. I wonder if this, you know, 2024 is the year where you decide on maybe a different topic for a book when you're like for writing. I I remember when we met a couple of weeks ago in Austin, there was a moment. I have a very, I don't know, just very intuitive way of choosing my guests. And I will, okay, I need to interview this person. And that's when we were talking about you getting a typewriter and how you bought a typewriter and how that, you know, physical product and you interacting with that product changed something about your writing process or maybe got you more excited or slowed you down. Could you talk a little bit about the the typewriter that you bought?
0: Yeah. So I was running an experiment where I was only buying books from used bookstores. And in one of the used bookstores, I saw a typewriter and I asked the owner where he got it from. And he just gave me the card of this guy. And one day I was like, reading uh charles bukowski's book on writing and it's a series of letters that he wrote to like editors publishers and friends from 1945 through his death in the 90s and bukowski who is a writer himself if uh, people aren't familiar with him he was just this complicated character who's kind of a drunk he ended up being very prolific like people now really like his work but at the time that it took him a long time to be successful but as i was reading his letters like He'd be like, yeah, there's nothing better than being four glasses of wine deep, smoking some cigars and the sound of the typer late into the night. And the way he talked about his typewriter just made me fascinated with them. And I decided to call this guy's number on the card. And I'm like on this Bukowski (laughs) bender. And I ended up meeting this guy in Oakland who showed me like 20 typewriters and I got a, I got one from 1945 called a Smith Corona, but the thing that fascinated me about the typewriters and actually meeting this guy who showed me all of them was every one of them has like a different character. Like what they, they all are kind of like mechanically a little different. There's Smith Corona's that are like smooth, like butter. There's Olivetti's which are like design oriented. There's Olympias, which are engineering focused. There's Remington's when you touch them, you want to an angry type. And I just was like amazed at how the actual machine itself could create this like emotional experience in me where it produced different things and so the one i chose is like it's smooth and buttery but it kind of looks like nice and chic and elegant and makes me feel like you know i should be drinking whiskey while i'm writing some important stuff in terms of like how the typewriter has come into my writing life i started using it and i started writing poetry which is kind of crazy because i don't read poetry And the only poems I ever wrote were were to, like, family members and girlfriends in middle school. And the poetry kind of comes out because I think just seeing the words on the page and just the way you can kind of create the stanzas and, like, the lack of need of rewriting, like, that's another thing that the typewriter has done. It just has released what I would call bad poetry. (laughs) It's just stories about me puttering around or stories about, like, tokens of things in my house and yeah it's been really fulfilling because i don't fancy myself a poet and unlike the pressure that i put on myself with books i love books i read a lot of books there's no pressure with the poetry it's just a pure creative outlet i get to do it on this machine and it's part of a broader thing which i think surfing has moved me towards which is i don't want to be in front of screens almost ever and typewriting allows me to just write the machine is literally just designed to write without any distractions without anything but just me and these like clicky sounds and I could go on forever about this, but I, I think it's so cool and so fun. And there's uh, it, it really just has created a new pathway for fun for me and in, in the world of creation.
1: Can I get the number of the, of the typewriter?
0: <laughs> yeah, um, and th- I'm, this guy's awesome, too, because he, he did another three-hour session with me and Steph. And like, we did typewriters. He showed us them for like... What do you mean a three-hour session? I just went to his house for three oh. hours... On two separate occasions. So it was six hours total where (laughs) he pulled out. I'm like, hey, I want to check out typewriters from across time. And so we saw them from the 1890s through like the 1970s. And he just, you know, taught us how to use it. Like, you know, showed his He shared his passion for the machine and he he engendered that within me as well. And, you know, now I'm sort of spreading the word in my own way because I just actually I think it's really cool.
1: That's awesome because I think it's I don't know this. I'm very also so many things i've learned or became obsessed about was because of the person who introduced me to that thing and there's so much about this transfer like it's it's an emotional transfer now i'm like oh i want to learn about typewriters because you know you talked about this person besides you know typewriters are there any one thing that i've noticed on your website is there's a you know like cartoons i don't know if you drew them or of yourself on your website and you're holding this book that is like you know pay forward and i was wondering like does that have a certain meaning to you like does somebody i don't know was really kind to you and you're trying to i don't know i thought like is there a story there like that's something that caught my eye and i just felt like maybe there's a person behind that story but i'm maybe totally off
0: yeah your intuition is correct so those illustrations i created with the help of an illustrator when I first started the blog. But the pay it forward message, when I was 17, I was at Thanksgiving dinner with my family and I was telling people, oh, I want to go to Harvard. You know, my, my pathway out of poverty, if you will, was I want to go to the best school possible. And, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. It's not no one in my family had done that. I didn't know anyone who had done that. But one of my family members said, oh, you! I know a Harvard interviewer. Let me give you his number. And so I called the number and it ended up being the guy was like, Hey, and I'm like, Hey, I'm Calvin, this random kid. Like, are you a Harvard interviewer? I want to go there. And he's like, I'm not a Harvard interviewer. I'm a therapist, but I have a son that goes to Harvard. He's like, just come into my office for a couple hours and let's chat. So I go in there. I talk to him for two hours. I tell him my story and he's like, he just saw something in me where he's like, I need to help this kid. And so I ended up meeting with him like every day for a year. And what he did is he helped me one, see that I had a story that was worth telling and then two package that story in a way that allowed me, I eventually went to Princeton, achieved my Ivy league dream. And like that kind of set me up for, I don't know, having a much better life than I otherwise would have. And along the way that guy, you know, all he really asked for, and by the way, he gave me a credit card. He, he flew me to London and Amsterdam during my freshman year of college because he's like, you are a bumpkin, like you need to be much more like sophisticated, like your peers, like you need to travel. So he created like, you know, this moment where like, I traveled the world for the first time and that sparked later a journey of spending four years just traveling full-time working. And all he asked for this was, he's like, I just want a ticket to your graduation from Princeton and like, by the way, like pay it forward sometime in the future, like just do this for other people. And so he ended up dying suddenly in my junior year of college so I had to say uh, goodbye to him much sooner than I would have wanted to I'd love for him to have seen the journey that I have today but the first article I ever wrote on my blog was about this man and it was about the power of mentorship and paying it forward his name's Howard Sherman and I don't think I would have been a writer or writing without him because all I wanted to do was tell his story and then I oriented my blog very much around a mission to pay it forward to help other people if I can uh, because I think what he did for me was it completely changed my life. And it was, uh, you look back and you're like, where would I have been without this one person who just saw something in me? And I don't know.
1: Wow. That's, that's very powerful. And like, I think that's a perfect place to, to wrap the conversation on a very, I don't know, reflective note. I think it's something that people need to reflect, chew on, and see how they want to live this year, you know, like not by what other people say, but looking at all the people that have been present in our lives. Thank you,
0: Calvin. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is super fun.
1: Anything that you would like to tell uh, our audience? Any last words that you would like to, to leave with?
0: I think just spend more time with your friends and family. <laughs> I'm very much of the perspective that life is short and... The thing that matters most is our relationships and uh, I try to spend as much time doing that as possible and it's fulfilling but I think in the end of life it's what really matters so just take a few moments to step away from the grind and give your loved ones a hug or I don't know tell a friend that you love them.
1: Thank you. Thank you Calvin.
0: Thanks for having me.